Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, greetings to you, wherever you are. I'm in my home office here in Texas, which is sunny today. I know some may be listening from the frigid Northeast and some from the hot and arid Southwest, but wherever you are, we're happy that you're here today. And I want to thank the Free Grace Alliance for putting this conference together and all those who have worked so hard behind the scenes. Uh, President of the Free Grace Alliance, Jeremy uh, Vance, Grant Hawley, director, and Raylene, who's doing the technical work today. Uh, thanks for doing all of this. I know people are listening from all over. I just heard from, uh, I got a text from my fr- pastor friends in Burundi, East Africa, and I said in the Curio and his brothers Diomed and Jean Vier, and they send their greetings to all the Free Grace Alliance. They're closely allied with us, and they have 50 Free Grace churches over there. So uh, welcome to them, and a great shout out for the work and the faithfulness that they've been doing. Well, uh, today we find ourselves in some strange times and in need of a good word from God. Uh, I don't have to explain to you that people are going through a lot of times of difficulty and suffering. And it's a good time to talk about grace. Grace is a wonderful word, I don't have to tell you. Theologically, it represents a lot about God and his character and who he is, his goodness that comes down to us. It's also a moral guiding principle as well uh, for our Christian lives. But it's a very practical word also. Uh, Grace is something that actually can help us and meet our needs. And so we're going to talk today about how to be uh, strong in grace, grace to be strong, and specifically grace to be strong in suffering from 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, verses 7 through 10. So you might get your Bibles or scroll in your devices to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Suffering is something that we all have to endure to one degree or another. Some today are going through a particularly hard time with unemployment and worries about their future, their job. Uh, In other parts of the world, it gets much more serious where people actually live subsistence uh, lives and uh, have to shop almost daily for their food. And they are very, very concerned. Uh, We all find ourselves in at least that situation today, but others are dealing with infirmities of different kinds. Whatever it is, suffering is a part of God's curriculum for us, and uh, we call it Suffering 101. Have you taken the course yet? It's not made out of books, not made out of lectures. It's all lab work. God is uh, putting us to the test and to see how we do with his suffering. But in that suffering, he doesn't leave us alone. And that's what we want to talk about today. You know, you may be going through a difficult time because of this virus situation. And uh, you may be going through a difficult time with uh, with no paycheck. Uh, you may be wondering if you'll have a job tomorrow when, when things end. Sometimes we suffer because of uh, things that we do. Of course, we didn't have anything to do with the virus, but uh, we suffer because we sin. We suffer the consequences of that. Or we might suffer a a random act of sin or evil from someone else. We might suffer from an illness. We might suffer from unforeseen circumstances or or just make a stupid mistake. But we all suffer in one degree or another. And then we wonder at those times, 
does God know what I'm going through or does God care? And maybe more importantly, can God help me? And we can come out on different sides of that suffering. Some can come out victorious, but some can also uh, fall back on anger or bitterness or depression or despair that can even lead to worse things. So we want to talk about grace that God has. It's strong. And we're going to look at the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, in 2 Corinthians, most of the book, Paul is defending himself as an apostle because there were some false apostles, super apostles in Corinth that were really impressing the people, but were criticizing him. And much of the book is a defense of, of himself. And he describes his authority and difficulties that he's going through. And, and yet we find that he finds his strength and sufficiency for ministry in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to uh, just summarize the first six verses of the chapter because Paul is, is saying in the first six verses of chapter 12 that he really doesn't want to boast about himself. And we know that because he describes a uh, supernatural, fantastic vision. He says that I know a man. He doesn't say that it happened to him, although we know it did. He's too humble to say that. He says it in the third person. I know a man who had this vision and he was, and he, you don't know if it was in the body or not, but he was taken up into the third heaven, which I take to be the very presence of God, the closest, the highest heaven, and the very presence of God. And he saw this vision, he said, and heard words that were just inexpressible. I can't wrap my mind around the idea that there are words that I can hear in heaven that are inexpressible. And someday maybe we'll discover what those are. But Paul is too humble to brag about the event as his own. Instead, he just mentions, I, I know a man. Now, super apostles today would probably put this vision on their, their newsletter or TV broadcast and make an appeal for funds to for their newest jet plane or something like that. Paul didn't like to boast. He didn't like to brag. He certainly didn't want their money. And so he puts it in the third person, showing his humility. And he talks about uh, uh, then in verse seven, uh, that God used this to humble him. Uh, let's look at verse seven now. He says, uh, I'm just going to work through the verses, make a few comments, and, and then we'll draw some principles from it. He says, lest I should be, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations about this vision he had, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So Paul goes from this high exalted experience, ecstatic experience, down to the deepest humility because God wanted to keep his feet on the ground. And he said, lest I be exalted above measure. Uh, he didn't, God didn't let him get puffed up about the vision. So he gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, what is the thorn in the flesh? There's different versions about what that could be. Uh, some people think it could be malaria because it was such a common disease then, as it is in some places in today's world. Some people, for some reason, believe it could have been epilepsy because it can strike out of nowhere. Uh, there's good indication that it could have been his eyesight because at the end of the book of Galatians, he says, see with, with what large letters I write my own with my own hand uh, because of his eyesight. Uh, some people think it could have been a speech impediment because uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how he came with weakness and trembling and 
poorness of speech. And some believe it could have been persecutions, uh, maybe from a human adversary or even a satanic uh, emissary of some kind. We don't know exactly what uh, the thorn is, but it really doesn't matter. And it may be good that we don't know what the thorn is because it may be good that we don't know what the thorn is because if we knew, if he told us what it was, then we, we would say in our suffering, well, I can't relate to that. But all we know was something that really troubled him. And so in verse eight, he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I take the three times not to be just simple three requests, but three occasions where it really bothered him and really set him back. And so three times he really sought the Lord about removing this uh, thorn in the flesh from him. And yet he says, God didn't do that. And if it was a physical ailment, I think it shows us that uh, contrary to the health and wealth gospel, uh, there needs to be some place in our theology of uh, physical health that allows for God to be silent and to not heal at times according to his will. And so what did he hear from God? He heard silence about removing the thorn. Instead, in verse 9, he hears from the Lord Jesus, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will gladly, most gladly, I will boast, rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the answer he gets may not have been the one he desired, but it was good for him. Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. The theme of the conference is sufficiency of grace. And grace has all the bases covered from the beginning of our salvation right to the end. It's all about grace, really. It's sufficient to save us. It's sufficient to keep us safe. It's sufficient to meet our needs. It's sufficient to help us grow. It's sufficient to see us home to glory and into the kingdom of God. And he says that grace is sufficient. Well, what is grace? We know grace is a free, undeserved gift. That's the essential meaning. It comes from the word gift. Something that's totally undeserved. And we cannot work for it. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. It's not just a theological concept, though, because here it shows that it's actually practical. Paul applies it to his life. And so grace is, I like to say, everything we don't deserve for anything we need and more. Everything we don't deserve for anything we need and even more. God not only, not only supplies our needs, he gives us more than we need. I need water. So my tap supplies me with water. But within view of my house is a large water tower with more water than I can drink. God does the same thing with his grace. He allows us to enjoy his grace, but he's got more grace than we can ever imagine. And um, Jesus then says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The fullness of his strength, the completeness of his strength is made perfect through our weaknesses. So it's only when we are weak that we can realize the fullness of his strength. He goes on then, and, and, and Paul responds that I would rather gladly boast in my infirmities if that's the case. Because when I'm weak, that's when I experience his strength. And that's what he says in verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, 
and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul learned to take pleasure in. NIV says delight in. Some versions say be content with. I think the idea really is he really did learn to take a measure of pleasure in his sufferings because it was in his sufferings that he could see the glory of God's grace. And there was just no other way for him to encounter God's love and God's grace apart from his weaknesses and his sufferings. So uh, grace is an undeserved gift. It's everything that we don't deserve for anything that we need. And uh, now I want to point out four truths from the passage, four four principles from the passage that I think would be very uh, helpful to us. And the first comes from verse seven. Sometimes suffering comes to keep us humble. Sometimes suffering comes to keep us humble. It's not that we're necessarily arrogant, boastful, and outwardly proud and obnoxious to people, but pride perhaps has a more subtle uh, way of manifesting itself in self-sufficiency. We become so good at something that we forget to depend upon God. We become so good at something that we no longer need to pray about it. We no longer need to ask God's help for it. And so God sometimes raises up difficulties in life, I think, just to keep us humble and remind us that we are finite, we are fallible, and he is God. Isn't that really what's happening today in the world uh, through this coronavirus situation? My personal opinion, my personal opinion is that maybe God has allowed something to happen to the world to show us that he is still in control and we are not. One moment we think we can save the world, we can change the climate, we can save the whales, and yet we can't even change a little tiny molecule. It has defeated us so far. And it has leaders of countries asking God for his help. God has allowed suffering perhaps just to humble us. It reminds us that we're weak and that we're mortal and that we need him. I love the words of Psalm 119, verse 67, where the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Suffering brings us back to God, a place of dependency. It was said that shepherds long ago, if they had a lamb that would wander away from the flock and be in danger, the shepherd would break its leg and then have to carry it around until it healed. But in doing so, that lamb bonded with the shepherd and became dependent upon the shepherd forever for the rest of its life. Maybe God sometimes has to do that, not literally break our legs, I think, but lead us into some path of suffering. And so we can choose to trust in his grace instead of our self-sufficiency. So one point that I want to make is that sometimes suffering comes to keep us humble and God allows it. We live in a sinful world and bad things can happen. And sometimes by our fault or sometimes by God's design. The second truth I see in this passage in verse eight is that sometimes God will allow suffering to continue He'll allow it to go on and on. And grace doesn't mean that God removes the problem. 
but it means that he gives us strength to accept the silence about the problem. And so we ask God to help us and remove the issue, and he doesn't, we don't hear anything from him. He just says, trust in me. We can handle this together. You know, Jacob had to had to walk with a limp the rest of his life after he wrestled with the angel. But it was a reminder to him that he wasn't going to inherit the promised land and the promises of God on his own strength and by his own conniving. It had to come by God's grace. And likewise, uh, uh, someone like Johnny Erickson Tata, who you might know is uh, confined to a wheelchair from a teenage accident um, in my home state of Maryland. And by the way, my wife and I met when we went to go hear her speak at the same time. And that's where I met my wife, uh, Karen. But uh, Johnny Erickson Tata would, would only say that her wheelchair has been good for the glory of God in her many testimonies and books that she's written. And God has used her greatly. There's silence sometimes when we ask God for healing, for finances, for, stri- for uh, whatever our need is. And instead, all we hear is, my grace is sufficient. Trust in my strength. So sometimes God allows suffering to continue. A third truth, I think, comes out of verse 9. At those times, God gives gives us strength. Uh, The times when we're suffering, God gives us his strength. And it's not before we need it, but when we need it. And so in verse 9, Jesus appears to say, my grace is sufficient for you. But there's also a key word in verse 10 and the very closing words of verse 10, where Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. The word when is a time indicator. And Paul is saying that it is when I'm feeling weak, that's when I am strong. God doesn't give his grace before we need it. He gives it to us when we need it. Now, some people call that dying grace. In other words, We can be fearful about dying and anxious about dying and how am I going to handle it and worried about it. And and it's as if God says, well, you don't need my grace now, but when you need it, when you die, you'll have it. I call uh, call something similar preaching grace. And so often I get anxious or nervous about getting up before a crowd and speaking. And... um, And when I get up in the pulpit, I can feel God take over. And you see, I didn't need the grace when I was sitting there being introduced, but I need the grace when I'm up there speaking. God promises that his grace will come when you need it, at the moment that you need it, not before. I love the words of Isaiah 40, verse 31. Uh, They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord, and you'll have the strength, endurance of an eagle. I remember one time, I like to hunt and fish. I love the outdoors, and I was out in New Mexico, and I was hunting, and I was I was a, a young pastor at the time, and I was very discouraged about something. Sitting on the edge of a, of a, what was called Dog Canyon, a huge expanse of nothingness, looking out over another mountain range in the distance, And in this great expanse, it was just beautiful, but I wasn't feeling very good at the time. Uh, Something was getting me down. I don't remember what. And I was just talking to God about it. And then 
High above, I heard the call of an eagle, the distinctive kitty, kitty, kitty call of an eagle. And I looked up to see this wonderful eagle soaring overhead, reminded of the words, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. And at that moment, my spirit was revived. God does that just when we need it. You know, I remember another time as a pastor when I was very, very discouraged. Sounds like I got discouraged a lot. Not that much. But another time I was really discouraged and I was sitting at my desk. Must have been a Monday morning. You know that, pastors. Must have been a Monday morning and I was just feeling down about something. And I remember praying to God, Lord, I just need to talk to somebody. I'm sitting here all by myself. I just need to talk to somebody. It wasn't seconds later that a head popped through my office door and said, hey, you want to talk? And it was a good friend and a leader in the church. And we sat down and we talked. God sent somebody when I needed somebody. You see, God's grace is available when we need it, not before. Uh, but he will be there for us. His grace is sufficient. Now, out of verse 10, one of the things we learn from Paul is that when he says, I I've learned to take pleasure in uh, infirmities and reproaches and needs and in persecutions. Uh, I don't know that I could take pleasure in that, but Paul says he's learned to do that. And I think it's because the it was superseded by his experience of God's grace. He experienced such power and love at the times when he was at his weakness uh, that it helped him focus on God. And we always, and we're always reminded of our future uh, security of salvation and our, our place in eternity through him. And uh, that is just reinforced in difficult times. So, yeah, I guess we can take pleasure even in pain. And, you know, pleasure is really relative to pain. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but would you really know pleasure if you didn't know pain? If everything was always fine, it wouldn't be really pleasurable to you. There has to be pain in order to be pleasure. There has to be darkness in order for us to appreciate light. I love this quote by uh, Philip Yancey in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? He says, there's an ancient Chinese philosophy which says to be dry and thirsty in a hot and dusty land and to feel great drops of rain on my bare skin. Ah, is this not happiness? To have an itch in the private parts of my body and finally escape from my friends to a hiding place where I can scratch? Is this not happiness? Pain and pleasure, he says, are inextricably linked. The pleasure would not exist or at least be recognized if it were not for the pain. Isn't that true? And then I like these words also from a fellow named Edwin Markham. He says, defeat may serve as well as victory to shake the soul and let the glory out. When the great oak is straining in the wind, the boughs drink in new beauty, and the trunk sends down a deeper root on the windward side. Only the soul that knows the mighty grief can know the mighty rapture. Now listen, sorrows come to stretch out spaces in the heart for joy. Isn't that beautiful? Sorrows come to stretch out places in the heart joy. My friends, the only way we can really understand and appreciate the joy of the Lord and the grace of God is to experience pain and suffering in life. 
learn to take pleasure in God in those very difficult times. Now, let me give you three suggestions when you're suffering, going through a difficult time, such as many are today in, in one way or another. First, accept suffering as part of God's program for you. Right now, everybody in the world is suffering the effects of this virus, but everybody is suffering other things too, physical, financial, uh, relational problems. Learn to accept it as part of God's program. And with, I have three caveats here. First of all, don't ask for it and seek for it, but welcome it if God, if it's part of his curriculum for you. Welcome it so that you can experience his grace, not necessarily ask for it. Secondly, don't get a guilt complex about it. It may be because you're under God's discipline because of, for something that you've done. Uh, someone once asked me, how do I know if I'm suffering because of God's discipline? I said, well, you just know. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes we suffer not for things that we've done. They just happen to us. And so we don't need to get a guilt complex about it. God loves us and he assures us of that love over and over again. And in Romans 8, 35 and following, he says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. And then also, don't get a martyr's complex. Oh, poor me. Look at me suffer. Uh, we don't want to put ourselves in that position. It's a universal experience. Everybody has their problems. Uh, I don't like to talk about my physical ailments that I have, and uh, um, and what one of the reasons is because I found that 95% of the people really don't care, and the other 5% of the people don't care either. Everybody has their problems, so don't dwell on them and become a martyr. Learn to look to God and experience His grace. Well. A uh, second suggestion, if you're suffering, is not only accept it as part of God's program, but let God carry you through it. Just like a parent carries a, an ill or injured child in his or her arms, let God carry you through it. You remember that old poem about walking on the beach with two sets of footprints, and then suddenly there's just one, and 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 the and the, a voice or a person says, uh, "God, right when I thought I needed you most, you left me by myself." And God says, "No, it was that." time when I picked you up and carried you. Maybe a little corny now because it's become so familiar, but isn't that true? God never leaves or forsakes us. He's always there and he will carry us. How does he carry us? We rest in faith in his grace. How do we access his grace? Romans 5, 2 says through faith. And then have confidence that he has enough grace for your need. You can't exhaust the grace of God. I love the promise of Hebrews 4, 16. Come boldly before the throne of grace that you may find help, uh, that you might find grace to help in time of need. Boldly, meaning that God is not uh, rationing out his grace. He has enough, a super abundant supply of it. And he wants us, invites us that to come to him to find grace to help in a time of need. His other promise in Philippians 4.19 is, my God shall supply all your needs in Christ Jesus according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply all of our needs. That's a promise to us. So let me conclude by saying, don't respond negatively to suffering. Don't let it get you bitter, uh, angry, or put you into despair. Use it as an opportunity to find the pleasure of God's grace, a closer connection to him, and an experience of his love. Choose to exercise your faith, not your fear. Secondly. I'd say we can find strength in God's grace if you stay close to him. 
How do you stay close to him? Stay in his word, stay with his people, which is difficult to do these days. But here we are online doing that. Stay close to God. D.L. Moody used to say the only way to keep a broken vessel filled is by keeping it under the tap. Well, here we are broken vessels and we're, we're leaking all the time in our cracked bodies. Uh, we're leaking out the strength that we should have, but stay under the tap, stay under God's power. And then finally, know that Jesus makes it all meaningful. We have some friends, missionaries that we've supported from the very beginning of our church. Three months before they went to Africa, and they've been there um, about 30 some years. Three months before they went to Africa, they had a little girl who found out they had problems. She had problems. Calcification of the brain. She would always be like an infant. She could never walk, talk, or take care of herself. Yet they they went on to Africa and served on the mission field. The little girl was supposed to die at age 20, and she's now in her 30s, but still can't talk, walk, or take care of herself. And yet they, they explain how she's been such a wonderful testimony of God's love and grace to them and to the people around them. And one of the letters that they sent after they had gotten together and prayed for her healing because everybody was pressuring them to do that, uh, she wasn't healed. And she wrote, the, the wife wrote this, we believe that God worked a work of grace in our lives that day when they prayed. Let me explain why we believe this. She says, she, Julie does not walk or talk. Julie remains as an infant. Every day she must be cared for it as an infant would be. Yet we believe that God has worked in her life and they tell all the blessings that she's been. And then she says, we strongly believe that sometimes because of our fallen world that we as Christians must deal with sickness and handicaps as an example to the world around us, how God can help you through the trials that we face. How can someone say that without a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ is your savior, the one who died for you? You know, God knows suffering because he watched his son suffer and die on the cross for you so that you could have eternal life. So that you could not only be saved by his grace, but experience that grace in your life to meet every need that you have. Lord, thank you so much for this time to share with our uh, folks the grace of God. And may that grace be an active force in our life in such a way that uh, we can even take pleasure in our sufferings because we have a God who loves us and is right there with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.